0: and scholars. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts, Sluts and, and Scholars, scholars Media and LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your and entertainment scholars. and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am excited to welcome Ariana Fernandez. They are an IPSA-certified surrogate partner, a professional cuddler, and relationship coach. They are an advocate for sex education and promote that cause as a member of the executive board of the awesome Sex Positive Los Angeles, SPLA. Welcome, Ariana. Thanks for having me. So I am starting this season off by asking guests about their best sex or most pleasurable sex or most pleasurable thing they have done lately. So just to clarify, it does not have to be detailed personal sex unless you want to share that. It can be anything pleasure-based like a good meal, a bath, something that was pleasurable, anything that you'd like to share and celebrate that is some kind of fun you had lately in as much or as little detail as you willing happy to um I'll keep you know within the sex positive
1: sphere and self-disclose a little bit more than maybe some people would Um, I actually had a great sex last night so um I have a regular play partner here in LA we have been seeing each other for over a year um we met through the kink scene and uh we switched together So, um, last night we just did a scene where we actually switched in scene. Like I was being more dominant and then the the tables turned as Mm. they say. And that was, that was a lot of fun. That was something that I did that helped me to get embodied, relax a little bit, you know, just have a kind of like a date night.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
1: I, that's the kind of thing that I do. Um, in addition to baths, baths are great too.
0: <laughs> well, you know, you can start or end with a bath. Um, mm-hmm. Any tips for for fellow switches out there of how to kind of do that switchy fun mid, mid scene?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, so one thing I was talking with my play partner about last night is that he as a cis dude presenting person, right? Like has a hard time finding femmes who are comfortable switching, who are more comfortable, you know, like going between the dominant and submissive roles or topping and bottoming. Um, And he feels really self-conscious about sort of asking for that and going and trying to find it. And I've had a very different experience as a femme on the internet. Like I can kind of find a lot of people who are willing to do kind of whatever I want. Um, But we really built our relationship over time before we ever played together. And that helped us and we communicate a lot and that helped us to figure out how best to do that just for us individually. Um, And for me, I, I don't feel like I have the most active imagination when it comes to like role play, for example, so I needed to be something a little plausible, like something that would actually happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but just figuring out what works for you and being really in touch with how things feel unseen and experimenting a little bit in a really safe space or with a really safe person yeah. has been the way that I figure out, you know, what what's too far, what feels more comfortable to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm hearing that you also have some bravery in being able to like try on things and see how it goes within
1: reason right um Mm -hmm. in my work a lot of the time i'll talk to people in sort of kink terms and i'll say like well explore the comfortable edge right Mm -hmm. go to maybe a four out of ten on a subjective discomfort scale (laughs) yeah above that for very long and if you notice that you're getting above that then stop what you're doing or change what you're doing in order to be a little risky, maybe give you a little anticipatory anxiety or something, Mm -hmm. but not enough that you feel like running out of the room screaming. Right. (laughs) Yourself too far.
0: Yeah, like a good combination of nurse-sided, a little nervous, a little excited, but not so flooded that you are traumatized.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Right. So the balance. Right. So when I meet a new person, I'm actually self-identified as shy. And when I meet a new person, I don't feel comfortable playing with them or having sex with them right away. Mm-hmm. That's, I feel demi in that, demisexual in that way, mm-hmm. right? I feel like I need a connection that's built over time that feels deeply intimate. So that's something I figured out by trying things, trying more casual stuff, realizing it didn't really feel good for me most of the time, mm-hmm. and, and figured out, you know, that. Even though I'm very sex positive, that doesn't mean I'm always sex
0: forward. Yes. Um, great clarification.
1: <laughs> right. So
0: I. A sex positive doesn't mean having sex all the time. Exactly. Right. Like none of us can have sex uh, all the time. So <laughs> <wow>. challenge accepted. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Snaps, real, gold Depends how we define sex, right? If we broaden the definition, maybe all the time. Right,
1: exactly. So some people feel like their kink is really disconnected from their sex life, quote, unquote. Yeah. Um, And other people, not so much. And for me, they're very ingrained, entwined with one another. So yeah, it definitely took time to take little steps, gradual steps in the direction of things that felt a little riskier before I could figure out like for sure what worked for me.
0: Yeah. And for folks who are listening and are curious about demisexuality, I invite you to go back to an interview I did with a sex educator named Tatiana King. Um, and we talk about Demi and what that means. Um, and give you more information. Um, So I would love to talk a little bit about the work that you do. So in your bio, we said that you are a IPSA certified surrogate partner. What is a surrogate partner therapist?
1: Yeah. So uh, surrogate partner therapy is a two-way touch modality that started back in basically the 60s, right? It was really attached to the development of modern sex therapy. And it's for people who don't have romantic or sexual partners, but who need some feedback in sex therapy. They're seeing a sex therapist and they're referred by that sex therapist to someone like me who acts as that other feedback since they don't have that other person in their life um it is a role that not many people are doing right now we're trying to train more people which is part of why i'm doing a little bit more outreach about Mm. it um why do you think that is well (laughs) it is highly specialized it's niche and so most people who do it can't make a full-time living just doing that um but also There's only specific types of clients who really benefit from this work. And we're very careful to only work with people where it feels clinically relevant um, because there are other modalities that they might benefit from if it doesn't if it isn't the best thing for them. Right. So surrogate partner therapy is. Again, first of all, first and foremost, for people who don't have any other source of that feedback where someone else is touching them and helping them figure out what happens in the moment when whatever their perceived dysfunction or their concern shows up. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of people who have erectile concerns, um people who have gender dysphoria and or questioning, um, gender or orientation. I see people who have um what we call now like rapid ejaculation, um and and anorgasmia even, people who don't orgasm often with partners, um or at all sometimes with partners, people who are who have certain types of intimacy issues basically. That's a really broad umbrella, but Things where they may not be seeking out partners, um, and therefore, the longer they go without having some of those formative experiences, the harder and scarier it seems. Yeah, um, it's just more of a peer relationship than the um, you know licensed therapist that they're used to talking to, and it's more about talking and touching rather than just talking. So. We work with clients as they process with their therapists. Everything that we're doing, we share a little bit with the therapist. The, the client gets to also disclose to the surrogate, whatever they sort of feel comfortable disclosing. And we all work as a team. Um, and because of that, there are a lot of moving parts and it can be very stressful for some people. So mm-hmm. in the past, there was a high rate of burnout in our field. And that's also a reason why there just aren't that many people doing it. Mm -hmm. And we're changing sort of, I think, the ways that we do things to try and make sure that, you know, labor is spread out between lots of different people. Um, We're not giving people a lot of different cases as soon as they, you know, go through the initial first stage of our training. We have a lot of um, different ways that we're trying to create an environment where, there can be more surrogate partners because right now there are definitely more clients than there are surrogate partners. Mm. We cannot see everyone, um, who would like to go through this modality. And we do have to be very selective. It's very subjective. Um, who, who gets to see who often there's, you know, considerations about, age appropriateness of partners because we, again, want it to be a peer relationship. There are concerns about you know, whether or not um, surrogates are going to be equipped to deal with a specific concern. There are a lot of clients who have um, certain disabilities. And because surrogate partners are not medical professionals, we often have to work very closely with the other medical professionals that these clients are seeing in order to hopefully accommodate for whatever their um, disabilities are, stuff like that.
0: So. Yeah, it's a really collaborative team modality. I've had people on the podcast who are um, sexological body workers. So for folks who don't know what that is, I'll put it in the show notes to check that out. What is kind of some of the main difference between something like sexological body work versus surrogate partner therapy?
1: Sure. So... Sexological body work is one-way touch. That means that the practitioner touches the client, but the client doesn't touch them back. And that is very useful for people with certain concerns that maybe one, more physiological sometimes, or two, maybe less persistent, or maybe three, less about interpersonal interactions and more about sort of anxiety disconnected from the relationship, I think. Um, I think there are a lot of different you know, ways that our things intersect, our, our specialties intersect. But the two-way touch modality, I, I believe very strongly in it. That's part of why I started also doing professional cuddling. Two-way mm. touch, I think, is m- more vulnerable in some ways. The client gets the opportunity to try things as the more assertive, or um, active partner, mm-hmm. and that's often where, for my clients, they're concerned. They're like, "Am I doing things right?"
0: Yeah, <laughs> the whatever answer, that means.
1: Right. The answer is not what they want to hear mostly, which is, "I don't know. Does it feel good to you?" Because that's a that's a good indication of whether or not you're doing it right. What does something feel right in your body? Do you feel safe? We keep bringing their attention back to that, but. Um, They won't know that until they try some of these things and risk sometimes a little bit of what they might perceive as judgment or rejection or the things that they're avoiding a lot of the time. So while not everybody who comes to me has those concerns, many of them have some version of that narrative running in their head am I doing it right? Am I okay? Am I normal? (laughs) Right? Yes. And the answers again are not things that they often want to hear. Normal is so subjective and Mm -hmm. so I don't think it really exists, right? Um, But we can reassure them based on our personal experience, you know, I don't know, this is within the range of things that I've experienced and I liked it, or, you know, Mm -hmm. we can give them a little bit more um, honest,
0: experiential feedback. Right.
1: And, confidence that comes from that I think Mm -hmm. so if there's something a little bit more um sort of I hate to use the word like mechanical but Mm. if there's something a little bit more mechanical then I think one-way touch can actually be a lot faster and easier than my process Mm -hmm. it really depends on what
0: their concerns are Absolutely. And so for folks out there listening who are like, what exactly does this mean? Um, Let's get into like the logistics. So some people listening might hear this and be like, okay, so I just show up and we have sex or you watch me have sex or what do we do? Um, Walk us through sort of the process of what this can look like. And of course, it's different based on what someone is coming in for because it's um, sort of practicing a relationship from start Middle and end. Um, what can that actually look like? Let's say someone's like, I want to find a surrogate. What can they expect?
1: So what I do before I ever see a client in the office is have a three-way video call. We love three ways here, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> a talking three-way, right? <laughs> no, a talking
1: three-way, right? Where we just chat, me and the client and the therapist. And I can give them a little bit more details about what it might look like for someone with their concerns, Um, but there is what I call a meta structure to the process. We can't go faster than a certain rate of speed in touch, specifically. So we're trying to get to know each other at first, and we don't even touch bodies, and that's what I make sure to tell them first. We talk about their history beyond just their concerns that they're coming to therapy for. And I give them an opportunity to also ask about me. And I self-disclose. I love to talk, obviously. And I I will just keep going for a while if they let me. Um, But I make sure that it feels like they have an idea, just the beginning, the barest concept of who I am. And we start to build that foundation of trust it's really a relationship and if there's any erotic touch which is never guaranteed that is like a way future concern it is not of the moment (laughs) so we talk first for at least one session sometimes a handful depending on how Big their history is, not just with their concerns, but other things that make them them. Um, and, you know, whether or not they feel comfortable with me also often determines how much they want to talk versus how much they want to get into these new mysterious exercises. Mm-hmm. But the exercises are largely based on sensate focus, which sounds mysterious, but really just means teaching someone to focus on their sensations more than anything, the physical touch is the, you know, sort of first round, but it's, it's just, we build on that with other sensory exercises. Mm
0: -hmm. So, and just to elaborate on that for folks listening, um, sensate is sort of like taking a little bit away the goal necessarily of orgasm or penetration or even desire and arousal, but more focusing on the experience and the the pleasure in the moment and the connection. And so it's really like just a way of saying, um, coming back to the body.
1: Absolutely. It is more than anything about embodiment. and it Which is, is
0: hard for a lot of us. It is. And
1: I don't think it's encouraged very much in our culture <laughs> to take a moment, take a deep breath, close your eyes and pet your own arm, for example, just to get recentered or to give yourself a nice nurturing touch, right? Mm-hmm. So often I'll give people some homework that is to also do nurturing self-touch, but yeah. in the room with me, we would start with a, an object exercise. We're not even touching hands yet. We're not touching faces yet. We're touching a tennis ball because it has an interesting texture and weight and you can apply pressure to it. And we're asking people to touch for their own pleasure, which is again, not something that we're used to. We're we're not coached to do that generally in the outside world.
0: Mm, Most of us are touching to make sure we're pleasuring others. I
1: think that's true. Right. And so to focus back in on what feels good on your own skin, Mm-hmm. is not just useful for you, but I think the other person can tell that there's a different quality of touch. Mm-hmm. And I certainly can tell when someone's really enjoying it and really in the moment when they're touching me and they're feeling it fully. So anxiety, which so many of us have going into these situations where we are maybe first touching another person, right? The The first time you ask to, Hold hands with someone if you ask first, right? <laughs> um, the first time you kiss someone, right? All of those things tend to have a lot of import placed on them. There's a lot of social pressure to please the other person and gain their approval in some way. Um, so doing this touch without another person's body involved is really important, I think, for the first exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be, you know, seashells, crystals whatever floats your boat. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very similar to this cognitive behavioral therapy technique of physical grounding, right? You get into the moment you focus your attention on just one thing for a brief period of time and without judgment, banish all other thoughts. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something that generally requires practice, especially for people who are so anxious. They've been avoiding trying this with other people, um, or for people who hold a lot of tension in their body when they're anticipating touch, right? It can take some time. So we do as much as 15 minutes per person. When we start to do body touch, touching one small area of the body, we go from the object oriented exercise to like a hand caress generally, and it's all nurturing touch in the beginning with with body touch because we have no idea when we're going to trigger some discomfort in someone mm-hmm. that no one expected. It's yeah. hard to know when you first start to feel like something's not quite right. Like you are thinking ahead, what if this leads to sex? Some people, it literally does start with the hand,
0: right? Like, yeah, or if- even before the thought, right? Like if I touch someone, does it have to lead to X, Y, and Z, and then they will avoid touch because They're afraid of where it's going to lead. Thank you to our fabulous sponsor, Dipsy, the app full of hundreds of sexy audio stories designed by women. Remember, the more you support the advertisers, the more you support the podcast. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner. I love using Dipsy as a way to slow down and just focus on myself. It's such self-care to set aside time for just pleasure, especially when it's guided by such sexy voices like my favorite Luke Cook. They have sexy stories that fit many different passions. Remember that you deserve pleasure now and that pleasure is healing. I even use Dipsy for their sleep and wellness sessions, which is erotic in a different way. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial. When you go to dipsystories.com slash S and S That's thirty days of full access for free when you go to D I P S E a dipsystories dot com slash S and S. That's dipsystories dot com slash S and S. And when you are famished after your pleasure practices, don't forget to feed yourself and why not help support other humans and the planet too. Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company. Green Chef makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals. Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. Go to greenchef.com slash scholars60 and use code scholars60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Did you know that it is Earth Month and Earth Day is actually this weekend? Green Green Chef is the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions to your door, as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. Plus, nearly all packaging materials are curbside recyclable in most areas in the U.S. In honor of Earth Month, Green Chef is offering a collection of brand new, limited time only recipes made with sustainable, earth friendly ingredients all throughout the month of April. Think premium recipes featuring sustainably sourced seafood, organic proteins, produce and eggs and ingredients with a low carbon footprint. Green Chef is also partnering with One Tree Planted to plant trees in northern Thailand to combat food insecurities in vulnerable communities. So they plant one tree for every box sold. And their food is delicious and easy to make. My favorite is their flavorful shakshuka. I just made it the other morning and it only took me 10 minutes tops. Go to greenchef.com scholars60 and use code scholars60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com scholars60. 60, and use code SCHOLARS60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Now, back to the episode.
1: Yeah, one, one example of that is, you know, there was a client a few years ago who said they were having erection problems, but when you would kind of ask them, well, why don't you just... Take it to meeting people and just not assume that there's going to be any sex involved. Mm-hmm. Figure that out later, if you feel comfortable with them. Say mm-hmm. like, mm, I don't know about going on dates. and go. Well, why don't you go sit in the mall and just like watch people walk by and see if you're attracted to them. And said, well, if I do that, then I'm going to go talk to them and then... We're gonna end up dating and then I'm gonna be trapped in a situation where maybe I'm not comfortable at some point. And but and I'm gonna and then, and then. Yeah. I'm gonna get them pregnant and we're gonna be trapped together, right? Mm. It was catastrophizing and for few, very future-minded, as uh-huh. far as I've ever heard of anybody imagining, right? But mm-hmm. that does happen, right? And so we identify these thought processes mm-hmm. with the obviously a lot of help from a the therapist as we get to know each other better and I get to say you know there's this thing that's happening where you seem like you're not really connected when we're doing a back caress do you did you notice that am I like reading that correctly and it's it's all sort of to evaluate to not diagnostic in the clinical sense but to evaluate. Mm-hmm without judgment, just Mm -hmm. to give an extra perspective so that the client can say, "Hmm, I didn't notice that was happening. Maybe, maybe there's a point at which I need to start being careful to communicate some different thing. Or um, it turns out that's reminding me of something that was unpleasant or, you know, who knows what it is. But we customize really beyond not being able to go faster than nurturing and then sensual touch and that order. We we are basing it on what's going on with the client and what we figure out over time.
0: Mm. And because this is so relational based, um, what do you do with boundaries around feelings that come up? I mean, I would be lying if I said that, you know, we're in even in talk therapy, there's this old adage of like the blank slate, right? Where I'm not showing up as a real person, which just isn't true. Um, and I'm hearing there's so much more of this two way disclosure. How do you deal with feelings that come up either from clients or from yourself in, in the way you're interacting in this relational model?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it helps that I'm polyamorous. (laughs) So I feel like I have a bigger container than some people for all different types of close, intimate relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, There's definitely been times where especially closing the process with someone and knowing I won't see them again is difficult because I've grown to be at least a good friend Mm -hmm. Um, and feelings do come up for sure, for everyone involved, I think it's partially intended to be that way. We want them to know that they're capable of having a relationship beginning, middle and end with someone that can be, that they can feel is successful. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, the way that I frame successful might be a little different than some people who are very inexperienced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I give that disclaimer often to clients. I go, you know, just because a relationship ends doesn't mean I feel that I wasn't successful normally. I've had some breakups where I go, well, I learned an awful lot from that and I'm really sad it's over, but, but I'm glad that we are moving to different places in our lives that we yeah. feel affirmed by, that, that, that feel right for us. Mm-hmm. And so my goal personally, less than secretly, a little bit more out in the open for clients is often that they have success in their lives and joy in their lives. And I'll feel like I did my job, even though it would be nice to continue having, you know, the joy that we have in the moment. their the intention is that they go somewhere else someday, right? And often that means the range of time that I see clients is very broad because each person is so different but it's anywhere from a minimum three months to multiple years. So they are friendships at least. And, you know, we are allowed to have that because it is more of a peer relationship and a different ethical kind of container than talk therapy. Mm -hmm. That being said, we do set certain boundaries around communication outside of our sessions Mm -hmm. Um, can't just be sending memes all the time even though sometimes I want to <laughs> you know like this is so relevant to what I know sometimes it's helpful for the therapy right <laughs> right so I want to sometimes but mostly only talk to schedule sessions in between those sessions we you know definitely cannot be dating or seeing each other outside of our sessions um we, even can't we have a specific amount of space for the work? And when the clinical goals are met, we have to do closure and talk about, you know, here are my suggestions for you going forward and yeah. have a nice life. Occasionally, I'll say, you can email me in six months and let me know how you're doing. And I may or may not respond, right? Because broadly speaking, we're we're supposed to let them go out and generalize right mm-hmm. to use those skills with other people in different ways and make sure that they get more life experience and don't feel stilted and you know ignorant or any of the things that they were worried about when they showed up to work with me. yeah, so yeah, we have we have certain boundaries around like money too, obviously, um and the time that we hold the sessions in. so, normally I say people for about an hour. Um, and if they feel like they need longer to get comfortable for whatever we're doing, then we can renegotiate that. But we always include the therapist in that. Mm-hmm. So the therapist is there to make sure that everyone's not, you know, getting carried away and doing things that aren't clinically relevant partially. And also just to make sure that Especially if the client is not feeling comfortable with something that's happening in session with me, we want them to have other, someone else to work through it with them before they even approach me about it, maybe. Some of them are pretty shy and don't know how to handle conflict in relationships yet. Exactly.
0: And just you know, without giving too much detail about specific clients, I would love to hear some Growth stories about like what does the what can some endings look like, you know, for different people and themes that you've worked with? Like, what are some quote unquote success stories, right? Whatever success means.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the way that we measure success in surrogate partner therapy is partially just whether or not the client feels like their goals have been accomplished. Mm -hmm. So, I also get to contribute to that and say, here's what I think you could work on and here's what I think is done but you know a few of my first cases I think affected me the most deeply just because Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to expect either I was so new to the process and I get a lot of people for example who have body image issues that are based in sort of porny ideas of Mm -hmm. of what people are supposed to look like Mm -hmm. um, one of my first clients, my first successful case was someone who mostly was just nervous to try and engage with people sexually because he was uncircumcised. Mm. And it's interesting because, you know, not everybody knows this, but in most of the world, people are generally uncircumcised. Yeah. It's here in America where it's more common um, and in porn, therefore, because a lot of porn, at least studio porn, is Mm -hmm. shot, used to be shot in LA, but is at least shot in the US. People think that you're just supposed to be circumcised. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got to say, hey, you know, I hooked up with a few people from around the world. Like I've gone out there and I've had some experiences and like... And some people love a turtleneck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You could be maybe a little more sensitive if you're uncircumcised, which can be Mm -hmm. more fun for the partner who likes to see you respond. There are a lot of great reasons why it's not necessarily a detriment and sometimes possibly a real positive to Mm -hmm. not be circumcised. Yeah. And this person just because there's so much shame about body image issues, we're like, we're ashamed to be ashamed about our Mm -hmm. bodies, I think sometimes. Mm -hmm. This person knew rationally that those things were true, but wasn't in, able to internalize them really until he was able to get greater pleasure from just being in the moment with someone he trusted and who wasn't judging him mm-hmm. to try some things and to talk about his body. One of the yeah. exercises we do is just talking about our bodies while we're standing in front of a mirror naked. It's hard for everyone. Mm -hmm. I've never met a person who didn't have a hard time with this exercise. Yeah.
0: but Very vulnerable to be seen. Right.
1: And to talk about our bodies, not just by the way they look, not just by the form, but about the way... The stories they carry. Right. The, The show our scars and body hair and all that kind of stuff. I have hairy pits and that's a little challenging for some people. And we talk about it, right? So in addition to the way they look, our histories with our bodies, the sensation we get from different places and not just sexually, but everywhere, um, so many people don't touch themselves like on their feet, really, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. our feet, even if you don't sexualize feet, cause a lot of us don't, but a lot of us do too, um, our feet are so sensitive mostly. And maybe not in the areas that some people would expect because we walk and the pads get all rough and stuff. But like, just to talk through from top to bottom, from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to talk about the function and the feel mm-hmm. instead of just the way they look,
0: Yeah,
1: to stand there and have non-sexual nudity so you don't place all this pressure. And as soon as the shirt comes off, I have to perform for someone, right? Mm, The sense that our only job, our body's only job is to work for us in a certain type of way. Mm -hmm. um, That hopefully we dispel over time. And this person was, I mean very depressed before the process. And thankfully also was in a, a different process where they were thinking about psychiatry and thinking about different ways to sort of um, support themselves. Uh, but throughout the process, they said their whole outlook honestly changed. They were just more optimistic and they felt safer in their body. And it was incredibly moving because I hadn't had had someone who is willing to be that vulnerable with me, you know, especially in this setting that feels to some people kind of clinical. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. But, but in general, it's actually very difficult to get people out there in the world to be that vulnerable with you sometimes. And the, the trust um, and investment that this person placed in me and the process was incredibly fulfilling for me. And I was really happy to be able to just give them a different, again, perspective, Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of stuff that keeps me doing. It.
0: <laughs> and I know this for a fact, just because of clients that I work with or that, you know, um, I've worked with a surrogate partner therapists, is that I think a lot of people struggle to trust that you want to be there. Right. To support them, I feel this in talk therapy. People feel this in body work, and yes, of course, we're still getting paid. It's our job. We're there, you know, as a as a career. And I think a lot of people really struggle with trusting someone with that their their needs and their vulnerability and not feeling like a burden. I imagine that's a huge thing that you work with with a lot of clients on being able to like receive authentic two way experience.
1: Yeah, I don't know if everyone leaves fully believing that I was psyched to be there. But Um, I try to make it very clear. right? I get to choose my clients. I don't, I am very privileged. I get to say that, you know, I am not doing this just because it's, you know, there's money involved. I keep my clients to a minimum, to a place where I feel like I can fully engage with each person.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And my rates reflect that, honestly. But if I am in the room with them, they know that I also said yes. Um, it wasn't just them taking a chance on somebody. Uh, I said, okay, I don't know them that well, but they seem pretty great. And I would love to get to know them better. And I would love to help them with their concerns and to give them you know, a different person to show them just a different way, hopefully, of being just in case it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they're allowed to take what works for them and leave what doesn't. And I won't take it personally because I just enjoy the whole process. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, part of why I think the gradual nature of the exercises really works because by the time we get to deciding whether the erotic makes sense for each individual client they already have an idea of who I am and that they can trust me to act in character. I have the same, which I Mm -hmm. actually need in order to feel sexual with someone. Mm. And they probably have figured out that I am gaining some pleasure from it. They've observed me enjoying the different types of touch. I've given them feedback, telling them what I like. Um, and, what, and what didn't work as well for me, like, you know, try not to poke me in the eye while we do a face caress. But other than that, I everything's mean, mm-hmm. great.
0: Yeah.
1: That is my example. And I'll explain like, yeah, I was more sensitive here. I really liked when you were sort of petting the back of my neck like that. And I actually enjoyed like you were putting more pressure on my face. And some people are a little too timid to do that, but it was very interesting and held my attention and and wasn't unpleasant. And so with the feedback over time, you know, we're hopefully teaching them a more ideal way of authentically interacting with someone that they can translate to their other relationships. If more direct communication works for me, an anxious person, it might work for them, an anxious person. (laughs) I say that this is the way that I would do it. (laughs) What do you think? Mm -hmm. Um, But that is, yeah, that is how we, Make sure that they understand, like, one, it's a completely at-will relationship, Yeah. but they they can see me like it. They can mm-hmm. see that I really get a lot out of it, even when they're yeah, not. Yeah, you're really
0: modeling that authenticity.
1: Right, really when, even when they're not trying to do what they think I want.
0: Mm, yeah. Is there anything that you want to clarify about what surrogate partner therapy is not? So any misnomers, of course, there's been some like films and TV shows that may showcase what some of this can look like. Anything that you want to clarify of what it's not?
1: Right. Um, So what you cannot get in surrogate partner therapy is a quick and easy path to some sort of sexual touch. It's first of all, there's no sexual touch guaranteed in surrogate partner therapy ever, but... Some people think maybe it's sort of like a thinly veiled excuse to do more straightforward sex work.
0: Which is out there if you need that.
1: It's very out there and it's very valid. And I think that we should decriminalize sex work. And I think that there is, you know, there are a series of things that probably some escorts are doing that are very similar to what I'm doing
0: but yeah, what is the what is the current legality of surrogate partner therapy, um, in your experience?
1: So surrogate partner therapy has not been challenged legally in the U.S. It's sort of in this gray area where mm-hmm. it's technically legal because it's not illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, the type of types that we do because it's behind so many sort of. Barriers, right? It's not really that accessible to most people. I think there aren't going to be challenges to it anytime soon. There are places where it's explicitly legal, it's like regulated, but that's not really true here. So what we do is we kind of police ourselves. We have the International Professional Surrogates Association, which trains and certifies people. Mm-hmm. And we don't certify a whole lot of people who seek training. So we filter people out and try and make sure that they get training in ethics mm-hmm. and um, not just the basics of the exercises that we do in the room, but right. also in sort of how to conduct themselves in a way that is professional and is always focusing, you know, care on the client for mm-hmm. the client. Um, but yeah, so the, the status here is different from most types of what we would consider sex work. It is not the intention is not just to deliver pleasure and experience to someone. It is to create a relationship that takes time and is supervised by a therapist. So because of that, the thing that I do is in some ways less accessible than a lot of sex work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you can go online to any number of directories and find some people listed there at your own risk, but um, you can do that to find someone who gives a very straightforward experience of sexual pleasure. That is not centered in surrogate partner therapy. We want people to have Some enjoyment, obviously, because that's a great reinforcer for what we're trying to teach them, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But it's not the goal. Ultimately, it's lacking in any sort of goal orientation toward orgasm or genital-focused touch or anything like that. And while that is available sometimes, it really depends on the surrogate partner, too. Mm -hmm. So I've just recently put up on my website that I'm not going to be offering intercourse anymore. So it's something that I was doing for almost five years, um, as a surrogate and I'm no longer doing that. I don't feel as aligned with it anymore personally, but I also feel like, you know, this modality is incredibly useful and important regardless of whether or not we're doing intercourse. And there are always going to be some other people in the industry who do do it. So we try and like refer out Mm. to them based on what's appropriate.
0: Yeah. And you don't have to share, obviously, but do you mind if I ask like, what helped you come to a decision for yourself and um, just knowing what was a yes and a no for you and and how that shifted?
1: Yeah, you know, um, when I started this work about five years ago, I was... Uh, younger and more ambitious, no, and more ambitious in the sense that I felt like I could take on more um, partners. And therefore, mm. sometimes that meant more clients. Um, and then finding that some of, over time, some mm. of my desires just shifting to saving more of that energy for my personal life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. while I really want to help clients discover what works for them, and what doesn't work for them as much, um, my my body can only handle so much. And you mm-hmm. just, you do have to say like, well, what sounds nicer to me? Since that is the, like my entire job, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've I've practiced that a lot over the last five years, asking yeah. what would feel nice? What would feel better? What would, Be best for my body. Mm -hmm. Um, And in this case, it just meant discontinuing that one particular thing.
0: Yeah. Um, I think. And what great modeling for clients to be able to show how desires and things shift over time, right? And sometimes what we're okay with at the beginning of some kind of relationship is not, you know, ongoing with our informed consent. And so just a demoing that these things change over time and can change and they're fluid exactly trying my
1: best right <laughs> because it is a constant process I think of you know taking care of yourself and so many of my clients come into this process thinking I'm like some sort of selfless like Paragon of virtue or something for doing the work but you know I genuinely am only doing things that I feel aligned with and that's part of why I can do it and mm-hmm. so if they can if they can take that that's a susan of that with mm. them, then I hope that they will also be able to just pursue relationships uh, in a way that they feel fulfilled no matter what they're doing, right? Some of my clients come thinking that they want some like erotic touch and experience, yeah. And then realize that actually they were craving a certain type of emotional intimacy more. Yeah, they just wanted they, to be
0: held or seen.
1: Right. <laughs> right. And they realized that like, they don't need to doggedly pursue this other experience when they're really looking for like maybe a romantic relationship where then they would feel more inclined to be sexual, right? Mm -hmm. Some people don't want to be sexual unless they actually are romantically involved with someone. And Mm -hmm. therefore it's not going to happen with me in that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. room. So not everybody, you know, gets exactly what they showed up for, but we're always rethinking and trying to experiment. And yeah, that is sort of how I try to live my life now.
0: Oh, well, I feel like we could talk forever about this. And unfortunately, we're running out of time. How can folks find out more information about surrogate partner therapy, check out the work that you're doing, and um, start to take the next steps if they're feeling called to this?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I will often first just suggest that they look at the International Professional Surrogates Association. They can just Google it up, and, <laughs> and there's there's the website. Um, and There are other resources, but this is the most centralized place, I think, for good information. We are a volunteer organization, so we can only handle so much traffic. But um, I often also get requests on my website just for more information about the process. And I'm happy to kind of do that and try and help people find the right avenue, whether that's the referrals coordinator um, at IPSA. Or whether it ends up being a referral to me or someone else in the LA area, whether it be, you know, if someone's looking for more information on training too, we really would like to have more people doing this. And Mm -hmm. so they can look also at the Ipso website and look into the training program there where I am sometimes a guest lecturer, but I'm not the lead trainer.
0: So, and and like Ariana was saying, you know, most folks who practice this are doing it in a triad model with a sex therapist. Mm -hmm. And so, if you're wanting to get involved, do some sex therapy first and look for a sex therapist who has worked with a surrogate partner therapist. Talk to them about if that's something they ever suggest or refer to and do some of that work first, because usually that is going to have to happen prior to extending to this kind of space.
1: Right. They have to be evaluated by a a qualified therapist, someone who has some experience, ideally, with working with a surrogate partner. Mm -hmm. And if you're already in sex therapy, but this person doesn't have experience, they can get a little training from the people at IPSA, from me, um, just so that they understand more of what it looks like from the therapist's side. and I have a referral list that I give out through my website as well. So my website is get surrogate Very straightforward. Simple as <laughs> Good possible. Good SEO. <laughs> yeah. Just get it, you guys. And on there, I also have a list of the other stuff that I do. Because again, I think not all modalities are, you know, equal when it comes to different concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, I do give a lot of dating advice and you know adult sex ed as we might call it um in my surrogate work but I also just offer you know some version of that a peer sort of conversation in the relationship coaching model right so much lower barrier to entry and then professional cuddling because that doesn't require a referral from a therapist and it's just platonic touch but that's sometimes all that people need So, yeah, all of that stuff is on my website. And that way, you know, if people want just a list of therapists that I work with and that I know are willing to refer to surrogate partners in general, if
0: the case is appropriate, that's also something I'd be happy to give people. Hey, Slutty Scholars. I am part of an awesome podcast network called Pleasure Podcasts. We feature some of the top sex and relationship podcasts in the world. Here's a trailer for one of our other shows, Shameless Sex, who I'm proud to call my colleagues and friends. They're also featured on episode 120 of Sluts and Scholars. Check them out. I'm Amy, sex and relationship coach, certified sex educator, and 2022's sexpert of the year in the sex toy industry. And I'm April, VP of Hot Octopus, sex toy mogul, and 2016's Women of the Year in the sex toy industry. Allow us to introduce you to Shameless Sex, a real talk, informative podcast, all about sex and relationships, but with a playful twist. Want to learn how to eat pussy like a champ? suck yuck, like a boss, Ew. how to better communicate, connect with, and touch lovers and partners, or
1: maybe you just want to be the master baiter of your own sexual pleasure. Shameless
0: Sex releases episodes weekly and features accredited doctors, authors, therapists, and educators available on all podcast apps. Just look up Shameless Sex to discover your new best friends when it comes to all things sex and relationships. To learn more, visit shamelesssex.com. Well, thank you so much for joining. Again, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Slut Scholars. You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts or at slutsandscholars.com. Please don't forget to rate and review, preferably a nice one. It's very helpful. And uh, don't forget to check out those advertiser discounts. Um, Ariana, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show.